This is Let's Talk Chive, the official Let's Go Chive podcast, episode 33, There Is No Boom Boom, recorded on May 26th, 2016. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast with your hosts, me, Matt Lyons, and Jason Lucard. Jason, how are you? I'm good. I'm basking in the warmth of being only half a game out of first place. It's a great feeling, isn't it? But the Indians lost a game, Jason. They lost a game in a series. So, I mean, we have to focus on what they did wrong. And we they cannot point out the good things. They even lost two games in Boston. So that's, if my math checks out, that's three games they lost. I mean, I would just burn down the city and burn down the stadium and sell it and start over. I don't know about you. But no, it's great. They won. They've been good. I mean, going on two weeks now almost, right? Yeah, I mean, really going on the entire month of May. Uh, they got swept in Philadelphia end of April. That might have been the first couple days of May. Um, then they came home and swept the Tigers. And I think they were 10 and, 10 and 12 at the when they started that series against Detroit. Uh, and they're 25 and 20 now. So again, if my math checks out, that means they're uh, 15 and eight since then for basically a month almost now. So uh, yeah, it's more than just a week or two. Yeah, it's incredible what the what April did for because I remember if you remember last year, the Indians in May, especially Jason Kipnis, was unbelievable. But the Indians had such a bad April that nobody really almost didn't care by the time May ran around. So it was already like the season was over, but. Now the Indians had a pretty good April. Now they're having a great May. So there's a bunch of optimism, I think. Yeah, I think the optimism is growing. I mean, I think the default setting, and in a lot of ways for me, too, is pessimism. Um, it's frustrating for me, though, when the pessimism just feels like blind pessimism. Uh, and there have been you know, comments at Let's Go Tribe that are just like not getting in depth into what's wrong with the team, but just kind of you know what I think of as chicken little stuff, just that the sky is always falling, and when things go well, it's only because they're playing a bad team. And then when, you know, oh, they lost two or three in Boston, and, you know, that's, the, that's who they really are. Like, you know, beating the Reds four times doesn't mean anything, but losing in Boston twice, that's what really matters. Um, instead of like, hey, they went five and two last week. Uh, so I'm at a point where, well, my, I usually don't expect things to go well, when they are going well, I hate when people can't just, like, accept that and enjoy it. Like, why, why are you a sports fan if you can't even enjoy things when they are going well? I think it's worth noting that, I mean, obviously we can't count the Red Series because they're bad, right? And then we can't count the White Sox because they're without their club leader, 14-year-old Drake LaRoche. So, I mean, it's one bad <laughs> yes. team, one leaderless Another... team. So. <laughs> the streak continues. <laughs> so the series don't count, obviously. But no, um... Last week of games, uh, and like we said, one and two against the Red Sox, three and one against the White Sox. They split the doubleheader. Their only loss was Mike Clevenger's start, uh, which I guess we'll get into that a little bit. But he didn't look too great in that doubleheader start. Um, altogether, they outscored the Reds and White Sox thirty to twenty-nine. So hopefully, you didn't already look. But can you guess who the top Indians position player is in FanGraphs WAR in the last week is? Um. No, I was, I, I mean, because so many of the guys who did well during the Reds, like Rajay Davis jumps out at me, but I don't think he had a great series against Boston. And then he did, no, I, I'm not even going to, I'm not going to embarrass myself <laughs> by guessing incorrectly. I'm just going to let you tell me. It's one Mr. Juan Uribe. Whoa. <laughs> He's nine for 25, three doubles and a home run. And good enough defense to bump him up to almost half a war in a week. 
So it's not a bad week for Uribe. And then, of course, there was also Carlos Santana, 7 for 29, 7 walks, 3 strikeouts. He has something like a 15% walk rate this year. So he's back to himself, also hitting a bunch of homers. And then Francisco Lindor, 8 for 28, 3 walks. He hasn't struck out a single time in the past week. So even with the Red Sox series, when he had his own little mini streak of not hitting well, he wasn't striking out. Um, then on the bad side of things, Rajai Davis, like you mentioned, he's 4 for 26. Uh, he did it at a home run, but that's about it in the last week. And then Jan Gomes... For a little bit, he did his best to <laughs> go along with the Luke Hart curse, but he's so far reversing it. He's two for 15 in the last week with a double and a triple. He's looked really bad. Um, so, yeah. What do you think of the last week's worth of games? Um, something I wrote about today is just that, uh, you know, Carlos Santana has been the team's best hitter this year, um, a little ahead of Lindor. Um, but neither of them is having like an all star hitting season. I mean, Lindor is having an all star season. Um, but that's, you know, in large part because his defense is fantastic, too. Um, just looking at hitting, no one in the team is putting up huge numbers. Um, but other than Gomes, especially with Uribe, you know, playing well in the last week, um, there's not a lot of there's, – there's, there aren't any dead spots in the lineup away from Gomes, really. Uh, and even the Red Sox, who have the best offense in the league, um, you know, have a couple guys in the lineup every night who are not automatic outs, but, you know, closer to it than guys on the Indians – um, so I think it's just, it's, uh, it, it would also be really fun to have a Mike Trout type superstar, uh, offensively, but there's also, I think something fun about just kind of different guys stepping up different nights. I mean, frankly, if the Indians are winning, no matter how it's happening, it's going to be satisfying. Um, but so for me recently, it's just been kind of the enjoyment of, you know, different guys coming through different nights. Um, so that's been really encouraging. Uh, you know, the downside is, you know, without a big guy, uh, you know, small slips everywhere, uh, you know, the, the offense could decline, you know, without having a big anchor or two. Um, but the flip side is there's no one guy whose absence or slump, um, you know, does potentially a huge amount of damage. I mean, the guy who you would describe that way would be Michael Brantley. Uh, and instead, you know, really without getting anything from him this season, uh, you know, the, the offense is third in the American League in scoring uh, and is above average in, in almost every other metric. Um, so that's just, that's been exciting and encouraging. That's something we talked about before the season and early in the season is that, you know, it wasn't an offense that looked great on paper, but if you really look closely, it could, it could certainly be good. Uh, and that's what's been happening. Uh, the other thing, Corey Kluber pitched twice in the last week uh, and did well both times. Uh, I think last week, when we talked, we had the, you know, what would it take for you to be nervous? And I still said, you know, I wasn't particularly close to being nervous. And I think his last two games have probably pulled a lot of people back from the ledge who were concerned about him. Uh, so that's been another kind of encouraging thing, fun thing to see the last week. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned like Kluber and Carrasco being out. I mean, the Indians could be, they could be quite a bit worse at this point and we could still hang on the fact that the Indians haven't had those two players, but they've been pretty great without them. So, I mean, whatever they do when they come back is just icing at this point, I would think. Yeah, and, and that's why, like, the the complaining and negativity is frustrating because the Indians are half a game out of first, have, you know, the third best run differential in the league, and have done that getting nothing from their expected best hitter and missing, you know, one of the best starting pitchers in baseball for about half the season so far. And I just, like, 
like how do you not get excited and you know and upbeat about what the Indians are doing without those guys uh, under the circumstances right now? I feel like if you told me the Indians, you know, that Brantley was going to end up basically missing all of this so far since when he did play, he he wasn't he didn't look himself, and Carrasco would be, like I would have guessed, oh, you know, they're if you offered me and they're four games out of first place, I'd be like, yeah, I will, I will take that under the circumstances because if they get Brantley and Carrasco back, they can certainly make up four games over the last four months of the season. And instead, they're you know basically tied for first place. Uh, I, I think Indians fans ought to be really happy with the state of the team right now. Yeah, when you look at the lineup, um, I mean, no, it's batting average, so whatever. But like when they show at the be- <clears throat> they show at the beginning of the game, like the averages of all the line the players in the lineup, I'd. My first instinct is like, ooh, that looks gross because it's like nobody over 250 almost. But like you said in your post today, it's just everybody is just good enough to make the team collectively good. And there's no complete dead spots altogether. And then even without Carrasco, it's still a great pitching staff because, I mean, Kluber has been Kluber and Danny Salazar has been, I would say, probably almost better than Kluber. And then Trevor Bauer has been himself. Sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, I was going to say, I agree. I think, you know, Salazar's been the best so far, uh, but Kluber's been good. Uh, Josh Tomlin is 7-0, and and while obviously wins and losses are not, you know, the, the thing we should be focusing on, I still think it's worth mentioning that Josh Tomlin is 7-0. and <laughs> Because uh, Josh Tomlin is 7-0. and and, and and I've been, you know, relative to a lot of people, I've been a Tomlin supporter for a long time. Um, and, you know, his he, the rest of his, his pitching line's not something that would match what you'd expect for 7-0, but he's been certainly a really good number three starter this year. Um, so, yeah, when if Carrasco comes back and is like, you know, 2014, 2015 Carrasco, uh, I mean, the starting rotation feels, you know, as good as advertised, and the offense is, has been a little better than advertised, even without Brantley. Um, there's a lot going well, and there's, you know, more than four months left of season they go maybe they will uh but right now i don't i don't know why anyone wouldn't be high in the indians yeah with tomlin i mean i don't know offhand when this kind of stuff normalizes but i mean at some point we have to just kind of accept that he's going to be a weird pitcher who succeeds in some way i mean he doesn't get ground balls he doesn't throw particularly hard none of his pitches are great but it works i mean his era is always down his fips always a little up because he doesn't walk anybody although this year he's walking people a little bit more but he gives up too many home runs just always hitting the plate it just works Somehow, I don't think there's any chance he goes back to the bullpen now if he keeps pitching like this. And then um, the other thing kind of encouraging, I don't know about encouraging, but Mike Clevenger, his start, uh, game with a doubleheader, he didn't look fantastic, but there is, he just made just enough bad pitches to make the game look really bad. I think his breaking ball was really good. Uh, his fastball looked good again. Just one or two pitches, one to, I forget who it was. I think one was Jose Abreu that he just killed over the wall. Um, he's just got to work on those one or two pitches. His ERA is like eight right now, but he's not that bad so far, I don't think. He's still got to find the outside of the plate against left-handed hitters, but he can do that. So I'm excited about him, too. Um, I'm sure when Carrasco comes back, he's going to be the one going down. So he'll get a nice little taste of the majors. But until then, Clevenger at the back of the rotation is not the worst thing in the world, I don't think. Especially when you have Kluber, Salazar, Trevor Bauer, and undefeated Josh Tomlin ahead of him. Yeah, I mean, teams generally don't have five good starting pitchers. Um you know, Clevenger's got some stuff to work out and everything you just said, you know, when Carrasco's back, he's, you know, he's going to lose his spot. Uh, and I hope that soon because I want Carrasco back. But yeah, I mean, Mike Clevenger, if your big problem is Mike Clevenger doesn't look good right now, then what you're really saying is you don't feel like the Indians have any big problems right now. <laughs> right, exactly. And then, um, so the other game in that doubleheader, 
was a Cody Anderson start, and boy, was it a Cody Anderson start. Merritt Rolfing had a great post on Let's Go Tribe about what exactly was different with him that day. He had nine strikeouts. He didn't walk a single batter, which, I mean, the walks is something we expect from Cody Anderson, but nine strikeouts, holy cow. <laughs> that's something, that's not a Cody Anderson stat line usually. That's the kind of thing we wanted with the uptick in velocity, but the biggest thing with his game on Monday night was just the fact that he threw 22 curveballs to the White Sox. The last time he threw, even in the double digits, was 10, and what do you know, that was again the White Sox in his first start when it was his only other good start. So, but he's not a two-pitch pitcher. Maybe he's there's something there. So do you believe in this is the Cody Anderson we could see, or was this just kind of a game two of a doubleheader, it's the White Sox kind of thing? Uh, I guess closer to the latter. Uh, you know, not necessarily just that it's the White Sox, but more so that any starting pitcher who's good enough to make the major leagues is good enough to, you know, have a good game at some point, you know, given enough opportunities. Um, obviously, I'm happy he pitched that game. And, uh, you know, the last time we talked about him, it was sort of the idea that he probably shouldn't be starting games for the Indians for the foreseeable future. Uh, and I guess I'm ready to back off that a little bit. I at least feel better about him as like a depth option. But, you know, like he said, he, he had a good game against the White Sox in his first start and then had, you know, five, six, however many it was, uh, pretty bad starts in a row after that. Um, maybe he just really loves pitching at Comiskey and they should only bring him out when they're in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, why not? That's not a horrible use of a roster spot or anything. I mean, sure, go for it. Um, the other thing, obviously, that he did was he avoided throwing just meatballs over the plate. Because <laughs> if you look at Merritt looked at the, the kind of pitches he threw, previously and it was just everything over the middle so it was kind of a mix of what the catcher was calling for him and what he was actually throwing like you i don't think he's this means that he was all of a sudden a great number three starter or whatever i still don't think he has i don't want to say that great of a pitcher because that sounds not good but i just don't think he's going to be starting caliber worthy for the indians in the long term even in the fourth or fifth spot um, yeah and again i feel like you know a year ago that was sort of the consensus on him right. uh, and then he came up and outperformed expectations which was fun uh, and it's not that that doesn't count for anything but as we've already talked about like he outperformed expectations in terms of his ERA uh, his peripherals <laughs> you know were pretty loudly screaming this is not sustainable this is not sustainable uh, and then the increased velocity this spring made us or made me think you know he might be uh, you know, legitimately showing improvements. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm certainly open to the possibility that he's going to be better than I thought he was going to be. Um, but one good game uh, doesn't do a whole lot to change, you know, what I think, who I think he is as a pitcher. Yeah, you nailed it. He just, um, I mean, we talked about it plenty by now, but he just came up. I mean, what he was is probably the not great pitcher, but then he outperformed everything. We got a little overexcited, maybe. So the biggest news, obviously, still every week, I guess we'll just update this, is the injuries to Brantley and Carrasco, like we said. Um, I think we already talked about Brantley's inflammatory shot in the 17th. Have not heard anything about him since then. But Carrasco did throw, he was scheduled to throw, I don't even actually see if he did, uh, throw 55 pitches in a three-inning simulated game on Monday. So he's slowly working his way back. Maybe he'll be back sooner than later. But Brantley, we're still stuck with that no timetable on return thing. Um, So what do you think, when Carrasco does come back, is it just that easy that it's Kluber, Carrasco, Salazar, Bauer, and Tomlin? Or do you think there could be any kind of wrinkle going on there with the rotation? I don't. I mean, if the decision were right now, I don't think there would be a split second of hesitation. That's what it would be. 
Um, you know, if he's if he's throwing fifty five pitches or so right now, I, I don't know what does that mean. He's two weeks away from maybe returning or something like that. Something uh, like that, probably. You know, so let's say everyone gets three more starts between now and then. I mean, conceivably, Bauer could look terrible three games in a row. Clevenger could put things together, and Bauer goes back to the bullpen, and Clevenger stays up. Um, but I'd be really, really surprised if it's anything different than Clevenger just going back down. Yeah, that's where I am, too. And then on the subject of Brantley, um, his replacement, Jose Ramirez, looked great. <laughs> I mean, even defensively in left field. So far as defensive metrics, I've looked better than Brantley. I haven't paid much attention to the eye test, but other than that one really bad misplay, he's looked great in left field. Obviously, offensively, he's like one of the best hitters on the team. So the Indians have gotten pretty lucky with what they Partially just because it feels like, you know, Brantley's had really two setbacks. There's one during spring training and then, you know, the one a couple weeks ago. Uh, we, I think we both have already said that we'd rather they, whatever they feel like he's probably ready, just wait a week or two longer just in case. Uh, you know, certainly while other guys are playing well, there's no reason to do anything remotely like rushing Brantley back. Um, yeah, but, we're inching closer yeah, and closer. I, you know, without a real sense of timetable, I don't know whether to think he's back in another week, another, you know, three weeks. I, I have no read on him right now. Yeah, they haven't said anything. Just the closer we get to August, the happier Peter Gammons probably gets. Somewhere deep down inside, he was right. So, uh, anything else from these past week of games before we look ahead to the Orioles? No. Um, no. The Indians were in Chicago, which I almost always go to at least one game, and it was just too swamped with work to get to a game. Um, but watching them win on TV is satisfying, too, so I'll take it. Yeah, but oh, in Chicago, you're probably stuck with that broadcast, aren't you? Did you have to listen to Hawk Harrelson on TV? Most baseball that I watch, I watch with the volume pretty low. Even when I have the Indians broadcast, um, I mean, this sounds snobby, but I just feel like most broadcasters, they're not telling me anything I don't know. Um, so I like to have a little noise, just a little crowd noise. It's a little weird to watch like a completely muted game. Um, but there's only a few announcers I sort of actively listen to. And actually, Hawk Harrelson's not even calling all the games for the White Sox right now. I can't think of the new guy's name. Um, but Steve Stone and a younger guy are working together on a lot of games. And what I've heard so far, the young guy actually seems pretty good. And, and I've always thought Steve Stone was pretty good. It really is just Hawk Harrelson. Um, so actually, about half the White Sox games right now, uh, the broadcast team is pretty solid. That's not too bad, then. I mean, my thing with broadcasters is, I mean, I like to poke fun at Matt Underwood and Rick Manning just because they're the hometown guys and it's fun. But when I listen to broadcasts, it's mostly just the voice. I mean, like, it's kind of a thing that keeps me focused in the background. I don't honestly care what they say most of the time. It's like my crowd noise, basically. Although yeah. I would like if they gave you some kind of option, especially with MLB TV, just to have just the blaring crowd noise over the announcers. I think that'd be nice just because to give you the atmosphere, but it's not there. So, yeah, yeah. I guess as a final thought in the games that were, uh, it, it was especially satisfying. Chris Sale came in, sort of, you know, I think he was nine and zero, and he's a fantastic pitcher. Uh, so it, it was fun to watch the Indians be the first team to get to him all season, and then the next night to be, you know, just about the first team to, to uh, get to Jose Quintana, who's also having a fantastic season. So it was nice uh, to see the Indians beat up on a couple of really good pitchers. And, uh, you know, hopefully after the day off today, we can get into the series in Baltimore tomorrow and keep things going. Yep. And speaking of looking ahead to the Baltimore Orioles, they are not looking so great. <laughs> they lost two to the Astros, 
And right now, as I look at the TV, they're down four to one to to the Astros again. I mean, they're about to get swept by what has been one of the worst teams in the league. So after the Orioles' hot hot start to the season, uh, they're now second in the AL East, twenty six and eighteen. Their offense, it's all power. They're tied for second home run in the AL with sixty five, or second in slugging, fourth in on base percentage, but they strike out a ton. I mean, it's <laughs> up and down the lineup. They strike out. Everybody makes puts Mike Napoli to shame. Uh, the matchups we're going to see, it's going to be Mike Wright tomorrow against Trevor Bauer. And then old friend, Ubaldo Jimenez against Danny Salazar on Saturday. And Sunday, the they didn't have one listed, but if I'm doing math right, it'll either be Tyler Wilson or their Chris Tillman, who looks great this year, against Mike Clevenger. Who Clevenger, he's got the breaking ball, so maybe he can work something against the Orioles. Maybe this will be his first big, good game, I would hope. And then, of course, uh, their injuries, they have J.J. Hardy on the 15-day DL, which means Manny Machado is playing shortstop, where he's probably even more valuable than at third base. And then Giovanni Gallardo, who they signed this year to a one-year deal, he's on the 15-day DL. So that's uh, what are your thoughts on the Orioles real quick before we get going to Mark Brown to talk to him about them? Well, we talked before the season. Neither of us was very optimistic about Baltimore's chances. And I know my, my feeling was just they have a really big payroll this year. Uh, and when I look at the roster, I don't feel like they're a big payroll team. Um, so when they got off to a good start, I was, you know, pretty surprised by it. Like you said, they seem like they're maybe coming back down to earth now, um, which is sort of a shame. I'd certainly rather Baltimore win the division than Boston or New York. Um, yeah, I feel like, you know, like you said, they, they strike out a lot, which, you know, for Bauer and Salazar and Clevenger is good. They also hit a lot of home runs though. And Bauer and Salazar, uh, and probably Clevenger too, can have certainly given up their share of home runs. Uh, so I could see things going either way pretty easily. Um, Baltimore's pitching uh, has been better than I expected, but doesn't feel especially intimidating. Um, so, yeah, I mean, any, any baseball series, anything can happen. But this one feels like, uh, you know, given the teams at play, we shouldn't be surprised by, you know, three to one. We shouldn't be surprised by 12 to one. We shouldn't be surprised by 12 to 10. Yeah, it just feels like it could go anywhere because, I mean, their strengths play into the Indians' weaknesses and the Indians' weaknesses play into their strengths. So, like you said, it's either going to be really high scoring or really low scoring. Probably nothing in between, I wouldn't think. So, um, we're going to take a quick break here that we're going to be joined by Mark Brown of CamdenChat.com. He's our managing editor, and he's going to talk about the series with us. So, stick around. And we are joined now by Mark Brown, managing editor of CamdenChat.com. He's here to talk some Orioles with us. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thank you guys for having me on. No problem. We're happy to have you. Um, excited to see the Indians play the Orioles this weekend. Well, uh, you must be excited if you're watching the Orioles uh, play the Astros over the last few days because they're, uh, they're they're not looking so great right at the moment. Yeah, I'm watching them right now. I know they lost the last two and bought, or top of the fifth. They're down right now, almost about to be swept by the Astros, I guess. On Tuesday, they struck out 19 times in 13 innings, and as if that was a challenge they issued to themselves, they struck out 18 times in nine innings on Wednesday. <laughs> Jeez, I did so not that's, even know that. uh, that's where things are going right now, and this is after, on Saturday, they struck out, I think, 12 times in like seven and two-thirds innings against Matt Shoemaker of the Angels, who came into that game with an eight-something ERA. And uh, they got beaten by Jared Weaver the next day, so it's uh, it's it's a little bit of a bleak patch right at this moment. 
Well, lucky for you, the Indians have an, another pitcher with an ERA over eight and Mike Clevenger. So maybe that'll be good luck for the Indians. I don't know. It might be. I don't know. So uh, with the hot start the Astros did have, is that is the momentum, all of that, everything gone from that already? Or do you think that the start they had can come back and they can have a full season of being that good over the next um, 100 or so games? No, I don't think the momentum is gone exactly. I mean, really, it's it's kind of hard to remember when your favorite team is like in a rough patch of games. But losing doesn't go on forever. And I, you know, I was looking at it a little earlier because I was trying to put it in some context for myself. Like even the 2014 division-winning Orioles, you know, they like they've only right now, depending on what happens tonight, they've lost three in a row, maybe four in a row, and they had four se- um, excuse me, three separate four-game losing streaks two years ago when they won the division. So you know. Four-game losing streak isn't like sound-the-panic-alarm territory, really. It just kind of feels unpleasant while it's going on. And I think probably, for whatever reason, the Astros just have particularly nasty breaking balls that they're matching up poorly against and adjusting very poorly against. And, you know, I don't know if it'll be against uh, against the Indians in this upcoming series or when, but I suspect they will start striking out a little bit less and start hitting home runs, you know, with the men actually on base a little bit more again. I might be a little biased, but I would like it if they waited until maybe just after the series to stop striking out. After that, I don't care. I'd like the Orioles to be good. But Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the slump continues a little longer, uh, maybe till they get back into Baltimore, because they're, they're just not a, not a great team on the road, whereas they've been very good at home. Is there anything in particular they're doing right now? I mean, is it just striking out that you think is going to carry over for a couple extra games? Well, they just really look helpless. Like, it's not like there's strike hats where they're, like, getting beaten by, you know, the fastball that blows right by them, right? It's just like every time it's the just the breaking pitch that's diving towards the dirt or either in the dirt, and they just flail away at it. It's like... Like I, I, it, like honestly, it's frustrating watching it because it's like, have they not noticed? Okay, he's going to throw this pitch. Just, just accept it and just don't even try and throw, uh, don't even try and swing. I don't know. <laughs> it, it's never fun to watch. I don't know if you know, but we had it's nowhere near that bad. But we had Mike Napoli at one point. I think he was up to nine strikeouts in a row. Just that one at bat, watching it over and over again, is excruciating. So we don't know your pain all the way, but maybe a little bit. Adam Jones can get into funks like that where it just seems like every time he's doing the same thing and the same thing doesn't work. Yeah, that was one of the things I was going to ask a little later. I'll just throw it in now. But So what's up with Adam Jones? I mean, his offense isn't great this year so far. He's a 75 uh, WRC+. And I guess his defense isn't that great either. I watched the Orioles last night and I saw him bobble a pretty easy catch. Is there something in particular up with him? So you may not know, at the beginning of the season, Jones played two games and then he missed a week with what they were calling rib area soreness which they insisted was definitely not uh, an oblique muscle problem although if you're aware of your anatomy you will know that the oblique muscle is in the rib area in fact so but it definitely wasn't an oblique they insisted (laughs) definitely Uh, so so he missed a week with that and then he came back and he was basically just not very good for a solid like three to three weeks and it was just like, what the heck? Why? Like, is this just the new normal? What is the deal here? Uh, and then he had about one week uh, earlier on in May where he was just tearing the cover off the ball. And let's see, it was a stretch from uh, trying to do my baseball reference too here, but it was, it was basically about a week and to a week and a half where he was actually hitting, and uh, and he batted about 400 and he hit four home runs. 
And everybody was like, yeah, all right, Adam Jones is hitting again. He's back. And then uh, and then he's gone, I think, three for 34 since Ooh. then. So he's back down in in the uh, in the tank a little bit. And uh, now it's like, well, I don't know what the deal is, because if he was hurt, if he was hurt, I don't know that he would have had the one insanely hot week. Uh, Jones himself gave an interview on the matter where he said, no, he's definitely not hurt. Uh, you know, sometimes in life and in sports, you suck. You just suck sometimes. And that was his <laughs> thoughts on it. Sometimes you suck. And uh, I, he's back in one of those times right now. And I, I don't know if the reason is just that sometimes you suck or if there's something else going on. But uh, that's, what he, that's what he had to say about it. So coming into the season before the season started, Jason and I did our own little prediction. And, and something that Orioles fans <laughs> like to kind of throw back at us on Twitter. We said we didn't think they'd be very good. Mostly because of defense, but has the defense either outplayed or has their offense been better to make up for the defense or has it just been just enough? Like, especially Mark Trumbo in the outfield or wherever he is now. Just has the defense in general been good enough for the Orioles to keep winning or is that going to fall, the floor going to fall out from that at some point? Well, you know, I, I get nervous every time the ball is hit in Mark Trumbo's direction. Um, <laughs> he's not like, I mean, I don't know how to describe it. Like, he's not going to like butcher catching a routine fly ball you know it's like the plays i've noticed where there's problems is like he's slow getting to a ball that's going to bounce off the wall and maybe like a real outfielder could you know keep a single to a double or maybe you know with trumbo out there a double's going to turn into a triple or something like that um for the most part people would probably feel pretty confident about the orioles defense though other than the trumbo part um Matt Wieters is looking pretty good throwing runners out behind the plate now that he's playing again uh, regularly after his kind of extended Tommy John surgery recovery. No matter where Manny Machado is, although he's currently at shortstop, although he's been our regular third baseman for several seasons, you're going to feel good about just about any time the ball goes towards him. Uh, Jonathan Scope does pretty well. I mean, he's not like a gold glover at second base, but for the most part, the infield defense is strong. It's just kind of the outfield. Uh, Adam Jones doesn't really have the range of some of the real phenoms that are out there right now. And nobody's really sure what to make of Joey Rickard uh, in left field, the Rule 5 pick who is an early April sensation who's cooled off a bit. He seems like uh, he maybe doesn't take some great routes and he can kind of make up for some mistakes with speed. So the UZR and DRS and such uh, mark him down a little bit, but I, he's not really bad out there. He's just not not as good as a fast guy you would expect. So you mentioned Manny Machado and... Uh, before before we called, Jason and I were talking about that he's, I think he plays at times in that echelon of the Mike Trout and Bryce Harper almost, and he's a third-base shortstop, so is, and sometimes his position could be even more valuable than those two. But what do you think he has to do to get up to that level of Trout and Harper as being one of the best two or three players in the league, or do you think he's already there? Well, certainly at least a couple people are kind of trying to put him up there. Uh, I think I think ESPN's Dan Zimborski had an article either just uh, just Wednesday or yesterday that was um, that was like saying, hey, you know, there's a third guy who should be in the conversation there, and it's Manny Machado. And I think I saw a similar kind of thing on the, on the Baseball Reference blog. Not that I, that I really read their actual blog posts very often, but uh, it's it's interesting. Kind of people are slowly realizing it, maybe because Machado, his first couple seasons, both got interrupted by uh, injuries. In fact, he had the same problem on both knees in, in consecutive seasons, and he had to get season-ending surgery. 
So uh, last year was really his big breakout, and unfortunately the Orioles weren't as good last year, so you didn't get the whole, hey, you know, here's this MVP guaranteed guy who's you know on the playoff team because the Orioles were only 81 and 81 last year. Maybe there will be a little bit more of that if they stay doing well this year. Like he came into tonight's game with a 997 OPS, over 300 batting average, and uh, for a while this season, I don't know that it's still the case, but He's he's certainly up there. For a while, he was leading the American League in slugging percentage. Uh, I don't I don't know that that will continue the entire season. But he's uh, you know if if Machado is going to be a power hitter who's also hitting for good average, he'll be up there in that conversation. Especially if he shifts to shortstop at a more premium position in third base. Yeah. Would you um, either you specifically, or is there like a feeling in the Orioles fan base that he'd be better off at shortstop permanently? Or is it better having him at third and J.J. Hardy at shortstop? That's kind of the ongoing debate, uh, really. Like, I, I, I don't have a consistent opinion about it because some days I feel like, well, you know, he's so good at third base. Why would you move him? And some days the people will be like, well, you know, what if shortstop puts more pressure on his knees that he's already had a surgery on each knee, you know? So I don't know. I, I, I'm swayed by either one of those arguments at different times. And, uh, Kind of the, the injury to J.J. Hardy, I guess, has opened up for a six-week or so trial period for Machado at shortstop, just because there's no one else to play shortstop other than, like, Hardy and Machado that's on the roster. So it's just, you know, uh, it's not like there's anybody that Machado is, uh, is blocked by other than Hardy. And I think, if anything, people aren't as sure that Hardy would be able to handle third base as much as Machado does. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if you have to play Manny Machado, I guess that's not a bad number two there if somebody gets injured. Right. So, I mean, he ended up coming up at third base because in his debut season in 2012, uh, I guess Indians fans wouldn't be familiar as familiar with this. But so the Orioles just had uh, they had Mark Reynolds playing third base in 2012 uh, for, for most of the early part of the season. And so, you know, they were they were sort of in contention around the trade deadline and you had all these, you know, know nothing baseball media guys. I don't remember exactly who, but you know, you know, the, the chattering <laughs> class is like, you know, the Orioles got to do something to upgrade their third base uh, position. They got to, you know, trade all these guys to get Chase Headley or so and so or so and so. So the Orioles basically took a look at their minor leagues and they were like, you know what, we're just going to have our hot shortstop prospect Manny Machado come up and play third base and he really just was sparkling at that position almost from the get-go like you would think he was born to play it uh, I mean that was one of the key things that helped make a difference in the Orioles running for the wild card in 2012 was Machado came up to play third and stabilized the defense and that kicked Reynolds over to Reynolds over to first base where he was actually uh, not as bad really it really made a huge difference so, I mean, I guess there's kind of the memory, too, of, well, Machado was the savior at third base that year. So, you know, as long as Hardy's around, why not leave Machado at third? While the Orioles have been winning, they've been increasing their payroll. And I think a couple of years ago was their first year over $100 million. And now, of course, this year, that $148 million, a big part of that being Chris Davis's contract. Is this something you think is going to stick around? Is this just the Orioles now? They're going to load up with a big contract like their AL East opponents? Or is this just kind of a one year they were going for it? So let's spend a bunch of money in the short term here. That is really a question I am curious to find out the answer to because I I, I don't know because this off before this off season I would have basically given about a one percent chance that they would have uh, made a payroll increase of as much as they did because I was expecting 
they've basically been going up about ten million per year uh, every year since Dan Duquette took over before the 2012 season. So I was thinking, okay, they would go up maybe another ten million per year. So I was figuring, okay, maybe they'll re-sign Davis, and if they did, that would be about all they would do. Uh, and instead, they surprised me by kicking it up about thirty million more over the last year. They they re-signed Davis, of course. They also kept uh, Darren O'Day, which I didn't expect them to do. And then Weeders accepted the qualifying offer, which I didn't expect him to do. And in fact, when he did that, I was really depressed for a while because I thought, <laughs> okay, that's, that's all their money. That's, that's it. And uh, they, they ended up spending more, although at the cost of uh, ticket increase went up about 20 to 25%. But you know, if the Orioles are going to win, I think people will feel like that's worthwhile. But uh, I, I think maybe what's going to happen is... We'll see, but currently I'm down on them keeping Machado past when he becomes a free agent, which is going to be after the 2018 season. So I think maybe there's kind of a sense of the window, so to speak, is from now until the end of the 2018 season, and uh, maybe they will load up on some short-term payroll stuff in the meantime. Although obviously Davis signed a seven-year deal, but like other other things are more short-term, like for instance signing Giovanni Gallardo, which has not uh, not really worked out so well so far. Yeah, Machado's going to be part of that huge 2018 free agent class. So, Right, people are already are drooling over it two oh, years yeah. <laughs> ahead of time, three years ahead of time, really. Yeah, so, so currently, if they don't extend him, he is in that bunch. And as a team with a pay, or as a fan of a team with a payroll that hovers around like $90 million and might be winning in a couple years, the way the Orioles are doing it kind of gives me hope. Maybe Indians ownership will follow him and just dump a bunch of money one year. Who knows? <laughs> Another thing you may not know is our TV money situation is kind of weird right now. Um, in that the Orioles and the Nationals basically have this forced marriage into one TV network, which was basically the price the Orioles demanded for letting the Nationals move in to what had previously just been Orioles territory when they were coming from Montreal. So uh, basically, it's it's in federal court. It's in um, or, or it's in court. Maybe not federal court. New York court. Some court. And the the the, uh, the Orioles through Masson are basically suing Major League Baseball because baseball and Commissioner Rob Manfred has even said, hey, look, you know, uh, they, they got to pay the Nationals more, and they're trying to not do that. So I don't know what's going to be the ultimate resolution of that. It's, it's literally been dragging on for four years now, uh, either in the shadows or out in the open. It really only exploded into the open uh, last year or sometime. So it may be that if they ultimately lose all of that, then all of this money that they are spending is, is going to dry up, and I don't know what they'll do in that situation, but... For now, they're spending as if they have money, and as long as they've got it, then okay. It probably won't be pretty if that happens, I would guess. No, I'm uh, I'm not looking forward to what may be the worst case scenario for that. That would be uh, that would be unpleasant. <laughs> so I've got to ask you kind of a painful question here, uh, Jake. Oh, I'm used to pain. <laughs> Jake that was Arrieta. not the pain I was expecting, even you warned, <laughs> even though you warned me of pain. Oh. <laughs> that kind of pain. Okay. okay. I mean, he's looked almost like. It's the Orioles' opposite situation of what happened with the Indians and Corey Kluber because the Indians got Kluber and he was just nobody. Then all of a sudden he was great. So what was the general feeling when Ariel was traded? He, was he just a back-of-the-rotation guy? That who cares? He's gone now. And this is certainly a feeling I had. I just felt like there was no way he was going to succeed here. And Orioles fans uh, will fight with one another over why he didn't succeed here. And, you know, that got that got sparked because there was basically a Sports Illustrated article uh, earlier in the season written by Tom Verducci that was like, he basically likened Jake Arrieta to a revenant who had come back from the dead. And he just wrote all this like flowery 
prose describing Arietta as like this mountain man prodigy guy, and it kind of casts the Orioles as like, uh, well, idiots for trading him and also <laughs> idiots for not being able to develop him. And it may be that was the case. Uh, it seemed like the number one culprit in Tom Verducci's eyes, and that's where Sports Illustrated article was the pitching coach the Orioles had around at that time, um, Rick Adair. And uh, under him, you had all the guys who were uh, our, our previous manager, Dave Tremblay, called the Cavalry, who was going to come and save the franchise, which was basically Chris Tillman, Arietta, uh, Brian Mattis, recently traded to the Braves and then immediately DFA'd, and uh, Zach Britton. And they were supposed to be the homegrown starting rotation of the future. And uh, Tillman is the only one who's actually stuck in the rotation out of that bunch. So it's like, well, was it, you know, was it this pitching coach and everybody hated the pitching coach? And were they just really, really bad about it or what? Uh, you know, I don't I don't know. I don't I don't know myself, but uh, I was convinced he was never going to succeed here. So it's not like when I look at him and see what he's doing in Chicago, like I'm not mad at that because it was never going to be that here. I, I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm just sure of that it was never going to be that here. So it's not like I feel like they're missing out on that because they traded him, you know. It's just why why couldn't they have that here is the frustrating thing. Yeah, just one of those things I guess goes to a new place and learns something there and there's some coach that said something that triggered in his head to get it. And one of the cases in that Verducci article uh, was basically that oh yeah, after he got traded in that off season, he just suddenly decided, you know what, I'm gonna start doing Pilates. <laughs> and that's like his new thing he swears by that's got him in better shape. So If it turns out that he just needed to start doing Pilates and that's why he wasn't winning Cy Youngs in Baltimore, uh, that would be a little frustrating, i got to say. But I I have a feeling it is a uh, many-factored thing, and maybe the Pilates is one factor and the pitching coach was another and so on and so on. So I think I'm going to take up Pilates soon and then go try out for the Cubs. It's worth a shot, right? uh, Maybe you'll get your million-dollar payday also. (laughs) Or a ripped-off arm and (laughs) a whole life of misery. So speaking of misery, is it still uh, just really painful to watch Ybaldo Jimenez pitch? I mean, the Indians had him for a couple years ago, and he had one good half season where he was great. But other than that, it was strikeouts and a really frustrating amount of walks. Is it still like that watching him day in and day out now? Oh, yeah. You know that feeling. I forgot he used to be on the Indians uh, yep. before you, you just reminded me there. Yeah, it's uh, – in fact, I would say now that Mattis has been cut loose, uh, Jimenez is probably like the number one guy. People are – you know, I, I don't know if you guys get angry Facebook comments from people that have probably oh, never even looked at your website. But uh, it, it just it, – people are just like, you got to get rid of Jimenez and this and that. And he's not ha- he's not doing well this year. He's got an ERA over six right now. And, you know, he's, he's, he's having the problems with command that you would – that you remember? Oh yes, very well. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't know what they're going to do about it because he signed through next year too. So even if you wanted to say, well, you know, DFA him, you've, you know, that's that's a lot of uh, money to just have his dead weight. I think they're probably hoping he will be able to turn it around at least a little bit. Last year he wasn't great, but he made 32 starts and he had a 4.11 ERA. So you know, that's a guy that's fine to have in your rotation as long as he's like your fourth best starter. Uh, the problem for the 2015 Orioles is Jimenez with those numbers was basically their second best starter. But yeah, uh, he's, he's not hitting those numbers again this year either. So that's a problem too. But I don't know what they're going to do about it. And I have no idea what you mean about Facebook comments, Mark. We never <laughs> no, get those. No, well, you, you might be having a blessing in disguise because uh, the, the Facebook crowd is uh, 
<laughs> I don't I don't have a high opinion of its collective baseball savvy. They're always well thought out posts. They obviously research everything before commenting. Yeah, well, the people that are commenting on Facebook haven't read the article anyway at all. Oh, that, whatever article they haven't read it, I'm I'm sure they just react to the headline. That's how it goes. Of course. So I have a feeling I'm a, I already know this answer, but what are the Indians going to have to do to beat the Orioles? Well, the way it is right now, if you can throw breaking balls, uh, they're they're just going to strike out a bunch of times, and that will be that. But uh, what you want to do if you're going to beat the Orioles is you want to beat their starters who aren't as good because I think the Friday starter is going to be Mike Wright, who's one of those guys that's just like the classic. He's just kind of like a two-pitch guy, right? So it's like, well, you know, maybe he should just be like a back end of the bullpen arm, and then he could throw it like 98 in the eighth inning, and that would be fine. Um, but instead, right now, they have him in the starting rotation, so what kind of happens is he just like breezes through four to five innings and then runs into trouble the third time through the order. But before... You know, like if he's only throwing like 70 pitches, they're not going to be like warming him and pulling him out of the game. So, you know, if basically uh, you get you, you'd want to get to Mike Wright in like the fifth or the sixth inning when it's coming around the third time through the order. Uh, it looks like Ubaldo is starting on Saturday. So I assume you already know how how to go ahead and uh, <laughs> how to win against him. Just don't swing. Yeah, just, uh, you know, wait for him to have to throw it just right down the middle, just in desperation to throw a strike. You know, the Indians the other day, they did that. They walked, I think it was two batters walked from, they got up the walk to first and all the way around to home. So maybe they can reenact that against Jimenez. Maybe you get a little throwback to when he was in Cleveland. Yeah. Um, so right if he's having problems, you'll be hitting home runs off him. So I don't know what your team uh, home run capability is, but especially lefties. He has problems against lefties. Well, that depends who you ask. Most people will say there's there's a few good power hitters on the Indians, but if if you look at our Facebook comments, there's no good power hitters. Everybody's cheap. Nobody will buy one. So uh, <laughs> it depends uh, where you look. Well, what would what would you say then? Yeah, they have they have the capability. You're feeling good. Ones. Okay. I mean, it's maybe like a little over a third of the lineup. I feel confident if they go up, they could hit a home run against at least a pitcher who's struggling. I think. Well, uh, those those guys probably will be the ones you can look for against Wright on Friday in particular, and. You know, I don't know. Maybe they won't even take bats to the plate against Jimenez on Saturday. <laughs> just you know, just uh, just, just see if right he can throw three right in the strike zone, even if he knows you're not going to swing. I don't know. I don't know. He might not be able to right now. And uh, so our final question is going to be one we just kind of ask everybody. So the very first thing that comes to mind when you hear Cleveland Indians, so it can be like current, past, anything. What's the first thing that comes to mind? See, I, I'm I'm dis I'm disliking myself for the answer I'm about to give because I'm sure it's the answer everybody gives. But uh, I, I think of the movie Major League when I think of this. <laughs> that's what a lot of us think of. I think everyone is worth when that came out. Just a little bit after that is when the Indians turned it around. So there's no really hard feelings about Major League in Cleveland. Also, think. people think Major League kind of was the uh, the break the jinx kind of thing or something like that. Maybe a coincidence, but you could call it a break the jinx thing. Break break the jinx thing. And it's also the fact that I mean before that. The Indians were just so bad that it, everybody kind of understood a movie making fun of them. Like I've said before, I don't think you would make a movie like that today because nobody's just that awful for that long. Because even a really bad team has a good year once in a while. So if you did, the fans would get offended. But I don't think many were back then. And it was a good movie, so that helped. Yeah, maybe my number two answer would be the game where Java Chamberlain had all the uh, bugs on his neck because that was the best just because I, I don't like that guy. And him being embarrassed was uh, <laughs> was pretty fun, but... I don't know. I, like to be honest, I don't have a lot of current uh, 
Cleveland Indians thoughts because the Orioles were bad for so long. Like it didn't matter what any other team was doing. It was just like, oh my god, the Orioles are so bad. Like nothing anywhere else in baseball mattered. It was just, <laughs> just the Orioles were bad. And uh, I don't know. I guess I guess Cleveland hasn't been super relevant since the Orioles have been good. So it's not like it's been. Ah, oh, well, here's the competition. So maybe that'll change. You know, a fierce rivalry. We'll, uh, <laughs> that fierce we'll, Orioles we'll build and we play seven times a year. Yeah. <laughs> And on the subject of Joba Chamberlain not liking, I think you have a friend in Jason. Yes. Unfortunately, he's now on the Indians, which you might not be aware of. So now Is I'm he being really? haunted by him. Yeah. Oh, you and have everybody... our old pal Tommy Hunter over there right now. Yeah, he hasn't been bad. I always I liked Tommy time. Hunter. Um, he was he was a real character. I don't know if you have gotten to see that any, but he was, he was, uh, he was an exuberant personality who was fun to have when the Orioles were doing well. We haven't got to see much of it, but it seems like he is. Just from the little bit that we've seen. Because, I mean, he was injured for most of the start of the year. We've had him for a couple weeks, but it's been fun. Yeah, I, I always like that guy. I uh, I wish him well. He was a fun guy. Okay, so uh, anything else from you, Jason? No, nothing else I can think of. Well, uh, once again, that's Mark Brown from CamdenChat.com. Uh, thanks for joining us, Mark. Thank you guys for having me on. May the best team win. Okay, and we are back. Uh, thank you once again to Mark Brown of CamdenChat.com. So yeah, it's going to be... I mean, <laughs> he kind of seems like an Indians fan right now with the down the depths of the Orioles. I mean, that's the way we all feel after a losing streak, which the Orioles are obviously on right now. Um, so yeah, that's going to be a fun series, I think. Either a lot of scoring or a lot of shutdown pitching. Well, he, and he's got there. I mean, what he, one of the things he said that jumped out at me, because I feel the same way, is losing streaks and... Um, and the Orioles are probably in the next 40 minutes going to lose their fourth game in a row and have got swept by a last place team. Um, but the season ended at the end of the night. They'd, uh, they'd be in the wild card game. Um, you know, I, I think all in all, uh, things are going pretty well for them. But hopefully we're getting them at sort of a, a low moment in their momentum and can take advantage of that. Yep, I am all for that. So uh, getting right to the social media questions. Our first, oh, by the way, I don't ever mention this when we do it, but uh, if you look, when we do the podcast, we record on Thursdays, I always throw it out uh, on Facebook and Twitter beforehand. But if anybody ever wants to ask a question that they want specifically on the podcast, feel free to either like messages on Facebook, um, email me, my my email address is on letsgotribe.com, or send us a direct message on Twitter, anything like that, and we'll just keep track of it until the podcast will answer it. We always get a ton of good questions. There's no live stream tonight, but we usually try to answer any leftovers there. So maybe after the podcast tonight or tomorrow, I'll answer the rest. But so for today, what we have on Twitter, we had Shrock the world. He asked, given where the tribe is at, at the end of May, do you see the front office making a deadline move? If so, what position to upgrade and who? So what do you think, Jason? Um, I said before the season started that if the Indians were in contention, uh, I thought the front ownership really needed to be willing uh, to add on some payroll, um, given that they, you know, made a lot of small moves in the off season, but sort of just replaced, uh, you know, there's the whole Chris Johnson born Swisher thing and what money did or didn't that save anyone. Um, so I would like to think they'll be willing to add, uh, in terms of where, um, you know, partially that depends on Michael Brantley. I know we all feel like he's certainly by late July going to be back to his old self. Um, if he's not, you know, then an outfielder might make some sense. 
Uh, third base is the other kind of you know glaring spot right now. Uh, and I suppose if Jan Gomes doesn't get things turned around, you can only have someone with his batting line playing for so long, even with his defense. I really don't see they, them adding a catcher. I think it would be a third baseman or an outfielder. In terms of who, I think that's like an impossible question um, because so much of it is dictated by what other teams are or are not in contention. And right now in the American League, you can really say the Twins won't be buying. They're really the only team in the American League um, who's like out of it right now. And obviously there will be other teams who are out of it by mid to late July, but there might not be a ton and we don't know who they're going to be right now. So I don't know how anyone you know, can really identify trade targets, uh, especially given that the Twins... Uh, you know, they're not, it's not like they're going to be trading Buxton or, you know, someone like that. And the National League is a whole different thing. I don't know. I, I'm not comfortable even trying to guess at particular players. I think an outfielder or a third baseman. Uh, and unfortunately, I'm unwilling to, to try to be more specific than that. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right in the positions. And I have no shame and I have no, <laughs> I admit I'm horrible at picking targets. But if we just had, just randomly selected ones. Just looking at who's going to expire this year. I mean, we don't know if they're going to be trading them, obviously. But I think the big four would be like Ryan Bond, Ryan Braun, Carlos Gomez, Josh Reddick, and Jay Bruce, I guess. And I mean, like you said, we don't know. We could probably count Milwaukee and the Reds. They're not going to be competing. But like the Houston Astros with Carlos Gomez and then the Athletics with Josh Reddick, maybe. But I think the thing with any of these guys trading for him is it's going to take more than one Indians prospect, because as much as we like the Bradley Zimmers and Clint Frazier's, they're not Francisco Lindor. So you're not going to be able to trade one top prospect and get an everyday major leaguer, I don't think. And that's what the Indians need. They don't need to do another little trade right now. If they want to get any kind of trade target, it needs to be something big um, they can plug into the lineup, I think. And no matter what, it's going to take like Zimmer and Frazier probably for someone. I saw that someone on MLB Network, somebody just mentioned it on Twitter, so maybe it didn't even happen, I don't know. But they mentioned that the Indians should trade Zimmer and Fraser for Ryan Braun, which, holy cow, no, I wouldn't do that in a second. <laughs> and if that's what teams are asking, I don't think the Indians are going to do it, and for good reason. There's no sense in sinking the future of the franchise over an outfielder for half a season. So I think there could be some players who the Indians should go after, but I don't think they will. Braun wouldn't um, be half a season. He's under contracts for a while. The problem is I don't right, think yeah. you really want that contract because right. he's making $20 million a year for another four years after this. Yeah, but either way, I don't think I would. I would, would you? I mean, if that trade came up at the deadline, would you want to do Zimmer and Frazier? Obviously, the Brewers would take quite a bit of money, I would think. But if you were the Indians, do you do that? No. Uh, <laughs> That's what no. I am doing. I, I mean, even if the Brewers were paid, I mean, it's not just the money. I just felt that we needed to mention the money. Uh, you know, and Braun looked good so far this season. I mean, he looks, you know, kind of like his his old self. Uh, but he's also going to turn thirty three later this year. And no, so I, I wouldn't, there's no, I, there's not many guys I'd want to see the Indians trade both of those prospects for. Um, I think if they add someone, it's, it's more modest than that. Jay Bruce would be a lot more modest than that. Um, we'll see what his numbers look like, but the Reds aren't going to be in contention. I'm confident saying that. I guess what teams are probably going to be asking for is one of those prospects and I mean, the problem is the other Indians' top prospects are so far down right now. I mean, they're in double-A or a lot of them in class-A. So in a couple of years, they're going to be like loaded with prospects to trade probably. But right now, there's just so much stuff so far away. that They have to find a team who is in the very beginning of a rebuild, I would think. 
Um, otherwise, they're going to be trading both of those guys or... No, I'm not even going to say it. <laughs> I was going to say, like, trade Jose Ramirez if Michael Brantley comes back. But no, you can't have him. I want to keep him on the team. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think we both kind of agree that there might be a position that they need to trade for, but who knows what it'll be. So there's your concise answer. So Indians Mutt 27 on Twitter asks, simply, what is Brian Shaw's problem? And I mean, his problem, if you're looking at the stat line, it's two games. It's when he allowed four runs on April 16th and five runs on April 9th. And I mean, even me, when I see him come into the game, my first instinct is, oh no, here comes Brian Shaw. But I mean, when you really look at his stuff outside of that game, looking specifically since his first start after that 16th, that April 16th meltdown, he's had 16 innings, only three runs. That accounts for a 1.65 year rate. So it's not like he's been a terrible reliever outside of those games. He's just a guy that gives up maybe a few too many walks and hits. But I don't think he's a bad eighth inning guy whatsoever. What do you think? Same thing. This came up in the comments to something yesterday. Um, I mean, those two games were terrible, uh, obviously. And it's not that they don't count, but they were also six weeks ago now. Uh, And like you just said, you know, in the six weeks since then, he's been good. He's continued to pitch a ton. uh, And I think a, a lot of this is that he's pitched so much the last few years that it would be completely understandable if he started to fall apart. And so when it looks like he is, it's easy to sort of latch onto that. Um, you know, but in the last five, six weeks, whatever it's been since those games, uh, he's, he's pitched in 18 games uh, and he's, you know, given up a run in three of them. Uh, he's striking out a, a batter in inning. So his, his strikeouts look good. Um, he's giving up a base runner per inning, which is, is pretty good. Um, so again, not to say those two outings don't count, uh, but if you look at Brian Shaw in the last five weeks, he's been a very good relief pitcher. So he's not a big concern for me right now. Uh, you know, two weeks from now, he has two more games like he did early in the season. Then I'll change my story and pretend I never said any of this, but for now he doesn't concern me. I don't think he has a problem. So I'm just going to isolate this part of the podcast real quick and save it in a little folder <laughs> and just keep it forever in case it happens. But no, I think it's almost borderline. You can say those two games don't matter. I mean, do you think he's ever going to give up like five runs or four runs consistently? I mean, it's just like if a starting exactly. pitcher had one bad inning. And like the weird thing about like when you're a relief pitcher, if you give up four runs in a game, it takes, especially early in the season, it takes months to undo that damage to your ERA. If you're a starting pitcher, you go out there and, you know, you give up four runs and, and get pulled in the fifth inning. You know, you have a great start your next game and the damage is already done. Um, you know, Shaw's ERA was like 24 after those two games. <laughs> so even though his ERA has been, you know, like you said, one six five since then, he still only got it down to five and a half. So it's easy to look at him and go, oh, my God, he's been terrible this year. His ERA is five and a half. Um, or you can say the last five weeks, he's been awesome. And like, the truth is somewhere in between those two things. Um, but probably I think a little closer to awesome than terrible. Yeah. And I mean, I almost can't blame people for overreacting to it. Cause I mean, the first thing when he comes up to the mound, what do you see is they drop down that the ERA stat where he has like five ERA. And of course they're going to talk about when he melted down. And I mean, if you're just a fan who just watches every once in a while and you see those when he comes in, of course you're going to be a little worried, especially with the game really close. And then he throws a lot of balls. So of course he's going to cause some anxiety, but I think in general, if you're paying attention enough, if you're going to be there for the long haul, don't be worried about Brian Shaw really. 
Which, sure, if you want to bring that up when he's bad in a couple weeks, I'll regret it too. But for now, I'm going to stick to that like you are. Okay, and then our last question here is somebody by the name of Cody DS, uh, USS Chu on Twitter. He asks, what is Jose Ramirez's nickname and why is it Angry Hamster? So if people don't know, um, Cody, USS Chu, is actually the guy that came up with the nickname. I thought you might know, but you mentioned before the show you don't know exactly where it started. But I think that's like the best, one of the best nicknames in baseball. But only we really use it at Let's Go Try. But I love it. Uh, the angry hamster. Yeah, I feel like, like it that. came up like two years ago, just like in reference to like a face he was making that he looked like an angry hamster. And I mean, generally, he does. he's got those puffy little cheeks, and then he's always so angry on the base pass. It's perfect. Like we we a week or two ago talked nicknames, and like good nicknames just are kind of random stuff that there's kind of a bizarre, nonsensical explanation to. But they're like fun nicknames. Not I don't know that Jose Ramirez would find it fun to be called the angry hamster i don't know but like <laughs> ram is not a nickname I'll, I'll let you take the other recent nickname that someone tried to give him and explain why that one's terrible too yeah i don't even know where that came from it was just i think paul hoynes he was the first one i saw it wasn't even a major comment he just sort of offhanded and say oh boom boom just hit a home run i'm like what no there was no boom boom it is not Jose Ramirez's nickname. <laughs> First of all, I didn't even know this, but there's already an Indians player with that nickname. And second of all, that is a terrible nickname. I'm sorry to the guy that already has it, um, <laughs> but I hate that nickname. Especially for Jose Ramirez. That doesn't make any sense. It's Angry Hamster. There is no Boom Boom. It's Angry Hamster. I just I resent that there are people who have a large enough audience to just make up a nickname and potentially have it stick because I can't do that. If I come up with a nickname... <laughs> It will gain no traction. Uh, so I, I envy Paul Hoynes' uh, his audience and poll and then resent him using it in uh, such a terrible attempt. Well, we tried that. You tried that with Monstro with Giovanni Urshela. That got a little bit of traction. I think somebody who knew Urshela was in the comments once asking what it's about. So he might be aware that somebody out there is calling him Monstro. But then, of course, he got sent down. So that kind of lost momentum. Yes, I'll, I'll have to call someone in Columbus and ask if anyone is using that nickname. It, it was the uh, it was a point of contention at Let's Go Tribe. I, I won't name any names, but at least one commenter pretty heavily criticized me for trying to push the nickname. Um, and so initially that caused me to dig in my heels as that sort of attack <laughs> these people to do. Uh, but then eventually he just played too poorly to justify keeping up with a nickname very much anyway. Perhaps Monstro will come back someday. It's obviously fault that you called him a nickname that he got bad. I mean, that, that's the clear implication here. <laughs> How dare you? You just call him Geo like everyone else, Jason. Come on. Yes, classic nickname. <laughs> okay, so that, um, of that thrilling note, that's all we have, I think, for today. Anything exciting for you coming up, baseball-related, otherwise... Anything? No, uh, like I said, awesome. I'm 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 riding high on the team right now, so I'm hoping they don't uh, crap the bed this weekend, and then I have to listen to everyone tell me what an idiot I was. <laughs> I mean, you ran a site for two years, and you you had to read Facebook comments. You have to know what that's like by now. Just I'm well versed in being told I'm an idiot, um, so it, it's not. It's not the newness of it. It's just more fun not being told I'm an idiot. <laughs> I mean, the worst part is when you're called an idiot for something you really didn't say. I know mean, there's that too. To. And for me, I'm going to get to watch. I mean, I don't know if anybody knows, but I'm like in the middle of nowhere in New York. When, when you say New York, people always think like New York City. But I'm in somewhere called Corning, which is 
the nearest baseball team is the Binghamton Mets, I think, and they're like two hours away. So when I get to watch baseball, it's it's a local team in Elmira called the Pioneers. They're in the PCGBL, which is like a little college, kind of like overflow league. It's just an independent league. But I'm finally going to go to games around here for real, which is going to be cool. I'm going to get to take my kids. So real baseball finally for me. Nice. Um, I might miss one th- one or two Indians games. Maybe when they're on a losing streak, I'll just say screw it and go watch the Pioneers. But yeah, yeah I'm excited to have physical baseball to watch and then maybe i'm hoping later this season a game or two because i'm five hours away from cleveland so if i have to go to a game i plan it out way ahead of time and then i plan to stay at my parents for a few days who are a little bit closer to cleveland so we make a big thing out of it so that'll be fun yeah that's pretty much all i got coming up well that sounds good we will we will get a a recap of your live baseball experience next week (laughs) well it's not next week i don't know when they it's pretty soon i think i I should know shouldn't i (laughs) They're home openers soon. I'll be there. Anyway, that's our show. Um, be sure to follow us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, all that. You can subscribe on iTunes and all that. Leave a review. I really don't know what it does, but I mean, we have one review on iTunes right now, and it's got to be from years ago, I think, because there's no date on it, but it mentions... It doesn't seem like it's talking about us. It just mentions there's a lot of awkward pauses, but I am sure that I edited out all of our awkward pauses. So that has to it's, be a pause. It, it's a review from... Yeah, whenever I was first doing it from after like two episodes. I know I know the review of which you speak. <laughs> we can't delete it either, so it just looks weird. But anyway, if you want to leave a review, I guess that'd help us. I don't know if it does anything on iTunes, but go for it. Uh, thanks again to Mark Brown from Candom Chat for joining us, and thank you for listening. Bye.